Chapter 36 Jake We flew up through the force field just as the doomed saucer lifted off. The Makora were all out to watch the ship take off. The ship that carried all their hopes with it. They didn't see us in the darkness. I was mad at Tobias. I was mad at Axe for helping him. But I knew they'd done the right thing. My being angry was the proof of that. See, even though I knew Tobias was right, I could get mad at him. I could try and blame him for the tragedy that was about to occur. Which meant I didn't have to blame myself. We flew, up and up. It was dark, and we swept past so quickly that the pteranodons didn't even notice us. They were day hunters. Actually, so were we in our bird of prey morphs. Our eyesight was not much better than human in the darkness. We flew up and out of that valley where the funny crab creatures grew their broccoli. Up into the sky untouched by any artificial light, and toward the ocean. The comet was amazing, and I guess it would have been beautiful if we hadn't known what it was. If we hadn't known what it meant. We flew for close to our two-hour time limit. We demorphed, then remorphed as quickly as we could. This time, Cassie and Rachel used their owl morphs so they could guide us all in the darkness. How big a boom will that thing make when it hits? Rachel asked. That depends on the speed of the comet and its size, Ox said. The Makora have observed the comet. They say it is approximately five of your miles across. It is approaching at a speed of 15 miles per second. Per second? Marco asked. Yes, when it hits, it will release as much energy as, say, a million of the nuclear weapons on that submarine. Excuse me? A million nukes? Well, assuming the nukes are reasonably well-made examples of primitive nuclear technology, I am being very approximate, Ark said. There will be shock waves. One shock wave will go forward into and through the Earth. It will compress the rock beneath it, which will release all the carbon dioxide trapped there. There will be a huge fireball from the exploding gases and from the vaporized comet itself. Everything within a hundred miles or so, every animal, every plant, everything, will be incinerated. There will be a huge crater, maybe ten, twenty miles deep. The second shock wave will bounce back from the impact. It will blow massive quantities of burning rock all the way into space. These burning rocks will fall across a wide area as they re-enter the atmosphere. They will probably cause a massive heat wave, so hot that trees and grass will catch fire and burn. Any living thing out in the open will be cooked alive as... Enough! Cassie cried. Yeah, that's probably enough information. I agreed. The question is, how do we live through this? And are we sure we want to? Tobias said darkly. The next few years on planet Earth will not be fun. First fire, then darkness. Darkness and cold and death everywhere. Look, I'm interested in surviving, Rachel said. Period. The shock wave is the first threat, then the intense heat, 
Ark said. When the comet strikes, perhaps we should be in the water. We're better off flying till the last minute, I said. We'll make more distance. We follow the coast north. Then, at the last minute, we head out to sea. We flew. All through that night, only stopping to demorph every two hours. The sun rose over a scene of breathtaking beauty. We were over a river delta. A hundred glistening streams, all heading for the ocean. And in that lushness, the dinosaurs. Slow triceratops and herds of huge saltasaurus, the long-necked, long-tailed dinosaurs we'd encountered before. There were hydrosaurs and gigantic crocodiles and pteranodons diving for fish. Great, lumbering giants. It was a world where elephants would have seemed only average in size. Hundreds of species of dinosaurs, each a miracle of nature. And yes, here and there, as we flew, we saw the tyrannosaurs and the other great predators. For some reason, although Tyrannosaurus had repeatedly tried to kill us, it was the big Rex I pitied most. They were so sure of their power, so confident. This was their planet, and they were the kings. I wondered if they ever looked up and noticed something was different in the sky. I wondered if they, too, saw the comet and felt a quiver of fear. The comet was visible even in the brilliant daylight now, and it was beneath that comet and above the teeming life of the Cretaceous, that we flew. We rested at last in the high branches of a tree, all except Axe, who stayed below. Tobias was right at home there in the trees, and we humans could hang on and feel somewhat safe. Cassie laughed a sad sort of laugh. Well, here we are, just a few tens of millions of years early. Primates will evolve, and they'll learn to live in the trees running from the saber-toothed cats and other predators. And here we are now, just a little early. By now they know, Rachel said, looking back in the direction we'd come from. Who? Marco asked her. The Macorans. They know the nuke didn't go off. They know it's all over for them. Marco nodded. Yeah, I wonder if they know why. I mean, that we did it. I wonder if they figured out that we didn't come from some far-off place, but from some far-off time on this planet. I wonder if they'll figure out why we... You know, why? A Saltosaurus came by and stuck his snake head up into the tree, indifferent to us, and munched on some leaves. Night came again, and now we flew on urgently, desperate for every last mile. And finally, X said it was time. We veered out to sea. We landed in the water, hoping that we could avoid being eaten in the few minutes that remained. We morphed a dolphin and waited for the world to end. Chapter 37 Cassie I stayed on the surface to watch the end. The comet was a blazing torch, as big as a mountain. It hit, and the entire planet shuddered from the impact. You could almost imagine Mother Earth crying out in pain. But, you know, Earth is just a big ball of dirt and water and air and life, spinning through space. It's only important because it's ours. The universe didn't care that the orbit of Earth and the trajectory of a comet would intersect at this time and this place. 
And yet, in my mind, in my heart, I cried out for Earth. The explosive power of a million nuclear weapons went off all at once. It was as if a giant had swung a hammer the size of the moon into our planet. I felt the impact in my insides. The explosion seemed to rip the universe apart. But I never felt the concussion, because suddenly, I was no longer in the ocean watching the doom of the dinosaurs. I was floating above it all, floating in air, but not really. In space, only I could breathe. The Sario Rip! I heard Axe cry. The impact of the comet is collapsing it! But this time, the travel through time was different. We weren't suddenly back where we started. We were hurtling through a void, hurtling past a videotape set on fast forward. I saw the crater. It was a hole big enough to lose a dozen cities in. Flaming hot debris exploded outward. A red hot fireball rolled across the landscape, burning everything. A blowtorch on dry grass. Trees exploded into flame. Dinosaurs crinkled and blackened and fell dead where they stood. No time to even cry out. The burning wind expanded outward. The sky itself seemed to burn. But then, the fireball weakened, and from the wreckage rose smoke and dust. Earth was hidden by a blanket of smoke and dust. The sun was blotted out. Earth began to freeze, and still more creatures died. It was all passing before my eyes now, faster and faster. The sky cleared as acid rain fell, disintegrating many plants and starving the remaining dinosaurs. The plant eaters were too few now. The herds were gone. Only a few pitiful redmints were left. Then even they were gone. I saw, in a flash, the last Tyrannosaurus, wandering hungry, thin, weakened and alone, across a blasted landscape. It was looking for the prey that was no longer there. And then it fell. Time sped up, and the continents floated across the surface of the world. I watched Antarctica slide to the bottom of the planet and grow icy. I watched the Atlantic Ocean appear, where only an inland sea had been. India broke away and then slammed violently into the bottom of Asia, rippling up the Himalaya mountains. Ice sheets advanced and retreated. Forests spread and withdrew and spread again. Mountains rose up, sharp and craggy, then crumbled slowly to softer, smoother shapes. And everywhere, the small brown fur-covered creatures increased in number. They filled the land the way the dinosaurs had. They migrated into the seas. They became plant-eaters and meat-eaters, big and small, cute and deadly, slow and fast. And suddenly, there they were in the trees, swinging from branch to branch. And an instant later, some were banging rocks together and forming tools of bone and wood. They walked erect, on two legs. They built huts and villages and cities. But all of this passed in a flash, because in the long, long history of Earth, the entire history of Homo sapiens is not even the blink of an eye. The dinosaurs ruled for 140 million years. Humans have existed for less than 1 million years. I was in the water again. My friends were there too. I fired my dolphin echolocation clicks and saw ships in the water. And I felt the last dying echoes of the underwater nuclear explosion that had first opened the Sario Rip. We are back where we began, Axe said. We demorphed near the beach, 
and when we climbed out, there was the boardwalk. It was still raining. There was no volcano, no giant footprints in the sand. We went to our homes, dazed, awed, and watched the news reports of the terrible disaster at sea. A disaster that, fortunately, had not resulted in any deaths. The Navy diver who was the hero of the rescue swore she'd been led to the submarine by dolphins. Some people suggested that maybe she was suffering from hallucinations brought on by the depth and by breathing the wrong mix in her scuba tanks. I returned to my life, feeling strange and out of place. That night, Jake came over. We went outside. I tried morphing the Tyrannosaurus, he said. Nothing. Didn't work. You could ask Axe. He may know why. Jake laughed. Yeah, but even if he explains it, I still won't understand it. Maybe it was all just a dream, I said. No, not a dream, Jake said. But it all happened a long time ago. Were we always there? I mean, were we meant to be there? To do what we did? Was everything supposed to happen in a different way? Should this planet be ruled by the Makora today? Or the Nesk? Should there still be dinosaurs stomping around? Did we make it all right, or mess it all up? Jake didn't have an answer, so I slipped my arm through his. We looked up at the sky for a while. No comment, Jake said. Not today, anyway, I said. Afterward. A note. Hi, it's me, Tobias. After we got back from our adventure in the Lake Crustaceous, I looked up some of the dinosaurs we encountered. Tyrannosaurus, Deinonychus, Sultasaurus, Spinosaurus, Elasmosaurus, Gronosaurus, and Triceratops. All of them are around during the Cretaceous Age, but paleontologists seem to think some of them, like the Spinosaurus, were extinct by the Middle Cretaceous whereas we were in the late Cretaceous. All I can say is that I was almost eaten by a supposedly extinct Spinosaurus. So what are you going to believe? Me or a bunch of scientists with some old fossils? Hello, Phanomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs auditory experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. And we've done it. We've climbed the mountain... That is Megamorphs 2, in a time of dinosaurs. We're standing on that summit, looking at the great view of all we've accomplished here together uh, by getting through this dinosaur book, where I had to look up so many different animal sounds and dinosaur sounds and pitch correct and do all sorts of things because uh, I, some of, let me tell you, some of the onomatopoeias in this book did not know what to do with. They were very strange. Um, but here, we're here. We did it. Thank you all for coming on this ride with me. Uh, I have a bunch of messages to get through, so let's just hop right in. Uh, so once again, Ubik from Tumblr uh, hitting us again with another message. Love to hear from Ubik. Welcome back to the show. Uh, this time they've written, Okay, now I'm in Megamorphs 2. Caught up real quick. Welcome to the party. In your first episode comments, you mentioned that you didn't really like this one. I have to agree with you. I mean, I don't mind the time travel thing. 
I just don't like the whole spoiler alert, which should be fine because we're here at the end. Uh, force the kids to have to choose who dies, their civilization, or this other one. It just seems like dumping on these already sorely used kids for no good reason by the author. Can't we just give them one weird, terrifying, but kind of awesome experience without having to make deeply traumatic moral choices? I mean, come on, frowny face. Uh, yes, yes and no. I, I, I get where Ubik's, Ubik's coming from, um, but also kind of like the whole point of this book is just that the kids go through it, man. They just go through the grinder. What bothers me about, uh, the Megamorphs is that typically it's a, uh, it technically fits within the timeline and they'll reference it at later points, but it doesn't really add much to the actual narrative. It doesn't really, I feel like, build much character work the way uh, some of the mainline books do, um, which might just actually be an issue with time travel because I think the jungle one is not a Megamorphs, right? Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, that was a mainline book. But it's the same kind of thing where like, oh, we've traveled to this far off weird place and gotten cool morphs. And then at the end of the book, everything gets undone. And I feel like uh, through all of that, it not only has no lasting impact because they only got to keep their morphs, but, and, and you know, no time has elapsed. Uh, the Yurks are not in a different position. They, they haven't managed to damage the Yurks anyway in their struggle here. Uh, but just, again, it's, it's a lot of pages for, I feel like, less character work than some of the mainline books provide. So it, it, it does bother me. I will say... I don't remember if I mentioned this last time, but um, I am a slightly, now that I finished this one, slightly more okay with uh, this Megamorphs. Because I think it is doing some character work for Cassie specifically that I really like. Uh, but I, I feel like there was there is a brief character arc from the, yeah, I feel like I definitely said this, from the Fenestre book, uh, the fake AOL company, through to the next book, book 19, where Cassie has a real crisis of morals. And since now that I'm remembering I said all this before... Uh, we'll just move on. Listen to the last episode if you want to hear my thoughts on that. Uh, but I, I do agree in this case, like, it's a really kind of crappy moral choice they have to make um, that uh, doesn't really build to anything, I feel like, almost. It, it just sort of gets undone at the end. I don't know. I get that. Uh, and then another message from Ubik. And in an earlier episode, someone volunteered to be a guest for discussion. I would love to listen to that and to participate. If you've not seen my blog... I'm really into figuring out the Andalite biology. If you ever need a discussion buddy for that topic, give me a call. Also, just want to let you know that I finally heard one of the airplanes you talk about polluting the sound of your notes. Honestly, I'm listening on my phone. I can't hear most of the noises from your roommate, your fans, or the airplanes. Maybe others with better speakers can hear it, but you're good on mine. And then, uh, one more message. Oh, hey, about the ambient noise. I actually might be hearing one right now, because uh, there's a helicopter flying by. Uh, I'm on episode 194. Have you tried putting up noise dampeners? There are professional ones, like used for music recording, or you can hang tapestries and cloth that will dampen the noise. Uh, and then they said that they hoped there would be a good Animorphs one, but uh, and provided me with some links to some ones they found. Uh, 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 the way my room's set up, it's not um, the most conducive to hanging up... Uh, uh, dampeners like that. I've I've thought about it. Maybe when I move, I also don't really like where I'm living, and I uh, don't really feel like I've made this room my own. But uh, one of these days, maybe I'll get a more professional setup. Uh, as you mentioned, for the most part, I think I do a pretty good job in the post scrubbing out uh, background noises like that. Um, and you know, at this point, it is what it is. I'm due for an upgrade. 
coming up. We'll we'll see if I can. I really hate apartment hunting, um, but that's that. Uh, it is getting warmer again, so prepare to hear me complain about how hot it is while I record. Uh, one last message from Ubik. Oh, geez, listening to the outdated dino theories hurts. There's a paper suggesting the T-Rex was a pack hunter. And the, quote, uh, lizard skin, lol. They have feathers. Scraggly pseudo feathers, but... Uh, yes, uh, paleontology has advanced quite a bit since this book was written. And um, we've developed some new theories, such as maybe dinosaurs had, that had feathers. Uh, it is funny, though, um, that this message has come in on this episode, because... You all have also heard the afterword that Tobias provides, which is really just Kay Applegate being like, hey, not a paleontologist, did my best. Uh, got some things wrong, but uh, a sci-fi ki- kids book, deal with it. <laughs> um, which uh, I thought was cute. Um, that was also like my favorite part of the Magic School Bus was at the end of every episode, they'd have that um, essentially like before Twitter, Twitter. Where they'd have someone, you know, quote unquote, an audience member call in and be like, um, actually, that's not very scientific at all the way, uh, you traveled to Pluto. That would have taken months and months or whatever. Um, and, and then, uh, the, the show writers would be like, yes, but, uh, they have a magic bus and this is a children's show for children. So thanks. <laughs> um, so that's Ubik's messages. Thank you for writing in Ubik. Uh, love that you're, uh, you have so many thoughts to share. I would definitely love to have you on for a discussion at some point if I ever decide to do a discussion episode. I think there's a lot of things uh, the series isn't interested in discussing, like um, morphing. Like like uh, they t- they tell you where all the mass goes when you get smaller, but where that mass come from when you get bigger? Something to think about. Uh, but thank you for writing in. Uh, I have taken way too much time, so let's power through the, these other messages um, as well. So we got a review from uh, Demelza, um, who said, Like being tucked into bed at night. I'm older than the target demographic for Animorphs, being 55 now. Uh, right on, hey, I'm 30. Uh, there's a lot of us that are not in the target demographic anymore that still really like this series, so no judgment here. My son wanted to read them 16 years ago. The series was completely published by then, and we scrounged thrift stores, libraries, and A-books online to read the series in order. We were both hooked immediately, and I have fond memories of binge-reading the series when I was 40 years old, alongside my 5th grade son. This is a great podcast, basically just a gifted amateur reading of the series. Daniel's narrative style grew on me over the episodes, especially after he settled on distinctive character voices and upgraded his microphone a smidge. I started listening a couple of months ago and just finished episode 56. It's a treat, like being tucked into bed each night with a friend reading you another chapter of a beloved story. As an empty nest parent, it's been a long time since anyone read bedtime stories to me, and I really love it. At first, I just listened to the episodes that were the entire books, but now I find I prefer the smaller, bite, smaller bite-sized episodes because I enjoy the moments when Daniel steps out of his narrator mode and just talks to his listeners as himself for a little bit. Thank you, Daniel. I really appreciate the series. Thank you so much for writing in, Demesla. Uh, that's so sweet um, that you read these with your kid, um, and you have so many fond memories of this, and now you get to kind of re-experience that uh, through this uh, project I'm doing. Uh, that's seriously um, so cool. Uh, and cool to hear that another person likes the smaller bite-sized uh, episodes. Um, 
again, um, there there was a point where I was like, do people really want this? Do they just want the super cut? It's cool to know that some of you guys really enjoy this um, and enjoy hearing me lather on about nothing. <laughs> but uh, thank you for the review. Thank you so much for writing in. That's super sweet. That's just so cute. Uh, I, I love hearing about parents uh, and interacting with their kids uh, with, through this series. It's super, super sweet to me. Uh, okay. So I thought I had one more thought to provide about this, but uh, I am blanking. So let me just move on to the last message we have from uh, uh, Reverend Austin, ordained Dudist priest at Dudism, the Church of the Later Day Dude. Great movie. Um, he writes in, Hey, Daniel, I started listening to your podcast about a month ago and just got caught up. I thought I'd drop you a line to say thanks, and you're doing a wonderful job. I never read Animorphs as a kid. But when one of the servers at work told me about it, I had to give it a try. I'm thrilled with the series and with your killer performance. I like the shorter episode lengths, kind of breaks up the whole thing a little, and your end show notes are usually interesting, like that whole bit about Marco's haircut. Keep it cool, which is a perfect sign-off for a guy who's been ordained into Dudism. Uh, great sign-off, Austin. Thank you for the message. I'm glad you also enjoyed the shorter episode length. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll try to, if I think of any more fun... Uh, Animorphs fun facts. I'll try to try to throw them in on here. Like, uh, for example, nope, don't got one. But <laughs> maybe next time. Oh, I remember what I wanted to say to Demesla. Sorry to circle back real quick. If you like being read to, um, Lavar Burton has a great new podcast. I guess not new anymore. It's like two years old now. Uh, Lavar Burton reads. Um, they are not paying me, so this is just a free plug for him. But uh, hey. We all love LeVar, LeVar Burton. We all love to hear him read stuff. That's why Reading Rainbow went on for so many seasons. He's doing it again in podcast form, but uh, like adult short stories. Uh, he's a big fan of fantasy and sci-fi, if you couldn't guess from the time he was on you know, Star Trek. Uh, so he picks out fantasy and sci-fi speculative fiction that he enjoys, and he reads it, and there's a little bit of like a music accompaniment and Foley work. Um it's not dissimilar to what I do, but just at a much higher production. <laughs> uh, check it out if you're looking for other things where people read to you in maybe a more professional fashion. Um, that's my recommendation. I listen to that one when I go to bed because I, too, like having bedtime stories. All right. That is all the messages for this week. Thank you, again, uh, everyone, once again, for both writing in, for listening, for, you know, hanging out. Uh, thank you all so much. Uh, as usual, I'll try to get the super cut out next week. And then we are on to, ladies and gentlemen and others, my favorite book in the series, Book 19. Uh, it's a Cassie book that I just, uh, when I was rereading the series four or five years ago, when I re-fell in love with the series, uh, standout favorite book, um, hands down. Although the David Saga comes close. I do like the David Saga a lot. Uh, this one, though, is, uh, I, I just really enjoy the premise and, and the way it comes into play. So... Get ready for that, and I will see you all next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight. We fight.